Welcome to The High Road to Leadership. I'm your host, Beverly Lewis, and I have a guest in the studio with me today, and we have a lively conversation in store. I want you to meet Joyce Weiss. Joyce is a conflict resolution and communication coach. We met, actually, I guess a couple of years ago through a a mutual professional association type group, and I have just really enjoyed Joyce, and I have to probably admit it's because we teach so much that is in alignment with one another. Joyce, welcome, Ted, today. Thanks for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Beverly. I'm thrilled to be here to talk about one of my favorite topics. And that's interesting that conflict resolution is a favorite topic because I I have to admit, I read on your the front page of your website a, a very interesting statistic about how much money is lost by U.S. corporations by time spent and resolving conflict. You, I saw the statistic of $359 billion a year in losses because of conflict problems, well, right? think about it. When people don't resolve problems in conflict, what do they do? They leave many times. So how much is that costing the corporation or the company, small or large, tons of money? I think that's probably one of the biggest things because I speak to lots of HR professionals are my ideal client. Of course, I work with uh, leaders in general and and employees, but HR professionals are the ones who send their direct reports to me. So when I talk to them when nobody's around, meaning the direct reports, it's always about conflict, relationships with either other people on the team the micromanager who just is a supervisor and I do what I can to help people stay. I'm not one who says, you got to go. That's conflict. Oh, no way. Because there's always going to be conflict. Exactly. And you know what? I think, though, that's an interesting thought. In these statistics, I wonder if they've even addressed the things like healthcare and how much conflict affects our health, our blood pressure, our, you know, we know that stress is a contributing factor to every disease on the planet. And, you know, so I have to wonder if the, if the losses are actually much greater than this. And then not to mention the intangible losses of the, the uh, pain that it causes us in terms of our emotions and uh, you know I've I've the great resignation it, it's really interesting looking at the reasons why people had have you know jumped ship at in record numbers in the past year and a half especially and leaving jobs and I when I ask a room full of people, as I'm sure you do, how many of you have left a job because of a bad boss or you couldn't get along, you didn't like the people you worked with, and every single hand goes up. So here we go. We've got a we've got a, a very important topic, but I have to ask, um, what got you into this focus? Was there a particular incident or you just saw the need? What? Because I know you've written a book. You've written three books, but one of your books is called uh, Kick Conflict to the yes. Curb, right? And so how did you get into this focus? I could answer that 
four different ways, really, and I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to tell, because I have many stories about why I love dealing with conflict. Let's go back about 20 years ago when I had one of my first um, presentations or, or it was it was on communication with a credit union. And we were all going around the table and saying what we appreciate about each other. And there was always there was always one person, and she happened to be the HR director, folded her arms in, and said, I'll pass. So we were going around and everyone was getting deeper, and whenever it was her turn, I'll pass. So at the end, um, I knew I had to do something, and I wasn't at that time the queen of conflict resolution. But everybody, including the CEO, was staring at me like deers in headlights, like, Joyce, say something. So somewhere up came the answer, but that obviously worked. Tomorrow, we're going to go deeper. We're, I want you to bring some ideas of how, how this team could improve. We're going to go around what you need from everybody. And I'm going to set rules. It's going to be safe and all that good stuff. And I, then I said, if you decide not to participate, I'm going to ask you not to come because we need participation. The CEO comes up to me, Beverly, and gives me a hug. I knew that that risk was good. <laughs> and I said back then, if the CEO didn't know how to take care of this rude HR professional, which he was a, a, a cancer for the entire company, credit union, what about the direct reports? That's when I started doing research. And I realized that, and my big thing now, it's just written all over my head. People are not, they don't feel heard. They don't feel heard. And if they don't feel heard, they means that they don't have the skills to feel heard. So that CEO didn't have the skills. Therefore, she was the, the model for everybody else. So nobody else spoke to that HR person. Wow, that's interesting you use that word heard, because I actually just delivered a workshop last week on customer service to a group and that I used that acronym heard, which actually is a concept that Disney teaches uh, in their whole culture. And that was it. I'm always interested when I read evaluations, what sticks with people, what really lands. And that was it. Heard that word heard. People want to be heard. But I have to say, you said there were four ways you could answer the question. We won't do all four, but I'm so uh, curious, what would be the second reason that you've gotten into conflict resolution? As a I'm purpose? making noises and, and the listeners can hear me breathing deeply. This one, and I'm going to make a really short, the Reader's Digest, Digest version. When I got married, um, that's when women didn't have voices as as well as they did now they do now and i loved my husband he was he is an attorney still married to him for many many years the thing is though whenever there was conflict or a fight i didn't have the skills to um to debate i never took a class like that it was always like having a judge in the room so here comes the incident. I wanted to go back to school to get a master's degree in guidance and counseling. And my dear husband said, oh, no way. You're so good at selling. Why waste time going back to school? You know, and he was giving me all these accolades, but he wasn't listening to me. 
So that's when I said, okay, I need to start studying assertiveness training that was back then in the 1800s, what I'm talking about. Um, and there was a book right. by Harriet Lerner called The Dance of Anger. And I read it and there was one piece that said, if you want to change behavior in someone else, you got to change the behavior in yourself and they may, they may come along with you. So I practice and practice and practice what I do with my, my coaching clients now. And the next day, or excuse me, a few months later, I said, you know, Jerry, I feel frustrated when I share about my, my future and how excited I will be to become a, a counselor uh, because it feels like I'm being discounted. And he just stood back and said, well, okay, you want to go to school? That's fine. I didn't know it affected you so much. Boom, Beverly. That's when I said, it's time for me. It worked for me. My self-esteem went up. Now, you know, the poor guy, I argue better than he does. I now help people. It's not arguing. It's just speaking your, your voice in a way where other people will hear it and they won't get offended. And it's, it's a skill. It's a science. It just doesn't happen overnight. It's an art and a science, I think. And I love that story. It's actually not surprisingly parallel to a lot of my experience because for different reasons, and I won't go into that right now, most of my listeners have heard those stories. But um, yeah, it's a very familiar story because I've also been married for over 40 years and it takes work. It takes, and, and now, and, and, what I love about what we're teaching too, we've given the statistics about corporations and how much money it will save in time, effort, health, um, money, all of it. But it also has every application to people's personal lives. And it will make them better wives, better husbands, better friends, better daughters, better mothers, all of it, you know, and that is just so very powerful. Well, let me just leave it wide open. I know that you've got certain principles that you want to convey to us in the time that we have today. So I'm going to just say, let her rip, Joyce. <laughs> I love it. Well, some, some of the, because I work with HR professionals and their direct reports, and I invite many of them to come on my show, uh, a live broadcast called Kick Conflict to the Curb. I have a trademark on that because everybody wants to steal it. Uh, but that's just what I'm about. And people understand it immediately. So some of the main issues is, uh, the, one of the, the main issue, and we, we touched upon it, is how do you, how does your company make people feel heard and have them belong? And the people who give me the greatest answers, no surprise, less stress in their company, less turnover, and it is not magical. It's the, the leaders know how to make people feel heard, whether it's onboarding. Um, they really do some, a great job with onboarding, whether it's actually having, I had a, a senior HR on my, as a guest on my show, and he said the first week when he was at his new position, which he's been there for 10 years now, his supervisor said, I overheard you say that your your favorite uh, restaurant is uh, WXYZ. 
And I just wondered, um, how would you enjoy a gift certificate there? And that just blew my guest away. Number one, he doesn't remember even mentioning this restaurant. But this this leader was so attuned at listening that that made such an impact. And this senior uh, HR pro said to me, guess what? I do that now with my direct reports. I, I'm not necessarily give the gift certificate, but listen, so how was the birthday party with your kids at home? And it just blows their mind. That's awesome. So listening is yes. a big one. I I have to ask a question and I might be interrupting your flow here so I can hold it. All right. So here's my question. I love to talk about difficult conversations is what I what I call them um, or courageous conversations. But really, the truth is we see them as difficult because it's it's really when you're confronting conflict or not even I don't that word confronting sounds aggressive rather than assertive. So you're really just being honest and open and directly, and I call it not allowing the elephant to be in the room. That doesn't work for international audiences because they're like, what? <laughs> you have to be careful about some of those Americanisms. But, but, um, but it's, it's, I've had to learn the hard way to be bold. But at the same time, what I always want to be very clear with groups and corporate culture situations is that being able to address conflict and resolve it well in a healthy way is completely different from not having conflict. So can you speak to that? You know, because, because people that think there shouldn't be any conflict, I think they're, that's, uh, that's definitely la la land. It's not, it's not. No, and I'm so glad you're asking me that question. And on my website, I have a whole page about, um, it's better than good conflict, bad conflict. I can't remember exactly how I said it, but you're right. Everybody has conflict. The situation is, Good conflict, when resolved, is going to make every the relationship better, the company better. Bad conflict, such as allowing bullies to take over. And why do companies do that? Because many leaders don't know how to have that tough conversation. And it doesn't have to be uh, an unsafe. It doesn't have to be so bold and you're direct that the bully is going to you know, quit or, or sue you. It's just making a conversation safe with that bully. Hey, I'm, I'm, we need to talk about something that I, I hear that's going on. Of course, I want to hear what you have to say. This is our first conversation about it. Then they talk about it. And then afterwards, the leader will have to say, if I hear that this is continuing, we're going to have to have more of a disciplinary situation. Bullies are still taking over many departments. Not all, but whether it's a micromanager who's a bully or, or a leader who's a bully, whether it's a person who's louder, who who just is taking over from the person who is softer and maybe shy. I get so many shy, indirect clients, and I teach them how to feel more confident 
And we talk about the imposter syndrome, which I know, you know, I talk about wherever I go. But I, I think the, the important thing for this part is we all experience conflict. Are you going to just let it go and that got, get resolved? Or are you going to figure out how to do this in a very safe, direct way? You use that term bullying. I want to hear a little bit more about that because bullying is is something that we know everyone from the education field to corporate to, you know, we know that cyberbullying is is really big and and really a problem. How do you define bullying? How do you see it in the workplace? And I hear how you're resolving it, but but you've described a lot of situations that frankly I'm not sure I've ever really thought of those as bullying. So I I want to hear how you describe bullying. I am discovering that bullying bullying can be as simple as somebody stealing somebody's stapler and making a joke about it in front of everybody. Oh, poor little victim is upset that I took a stapler. Well, go and get a new one. That sounds so small, Beverly. These are the small things that people get away with. No one knows how to deal with that. So bullying can be something small like that. It could be somebody they're usually, the bully is usually very insecure. It's a two-year-old dressed up as an adult. Um, they, <laughs> That's a well, good nobody's ever told them. Maybe mommy and daddy uh, never, you know, stopped the bully f- the, from being a bully. And it could be throwing people under the bus and getting away with that. And the person who's the victim doesn't know how to, and they usually don't report this because then they feel, the victim feels like, oh, no one's going to hear me because the bully is louder. The bully's sarcastic. The bully's going to make fun of me. And this is the problem that I'm finding. The softer, kinder people who are tired of sarcasm because the bully in front of the whole department will say, oh, well, she or he is so sensitive. They can't take the sarcasm. Well, if I had a chance to talk to that bully, I'd say sarcasm is great if it works. I'm very sarcastic, and sometimes it doesn't work, and it backfires. And you better believe I'll say, oh, I am sorry. I did not want to offend you. That isn't going to happen again. The bully knows exactly what he or she is doing, and the poor victim does usually doesn't know how to do it, how to take over. Well, that's a memorable definition, especially just the picture of a two-year-old dressed in professional clothing and a big body. Uh, and you're right. You're absolutely right. How often do you see that? You know, you work with a lot of companies. Do you see a, do you see a lot a big problem with bullying in the marketplace? Absolutely. Not every company does, and and that's because they do have a no bully policy. But it's not just written on all the doors. They really mean it. There is disciplinary action. There will be coaching. Um, there will be training. 
there will be letting them go if they don't change. I mean, I my goal is not to have people get fired. That's not what I do when I work with bullies or work with uh, difficult people. My goal is to have them understand to get into the shoes of the people who they're uh, they're bullying, the people who they don't understand, the people who they don't trust. Get into their shoes. That could be a whole nother discussion, but that to me is one of the biggest aha moments from people is after they say, oh, wow, I hear that all the time, but I didn't realize that, you know, so-and-so is experiencing some really bad stuff at work. So, excuse me, at home and they come to work and they're not as strong. Wow. I'm really been, I'm being too tough. It's as simple as that. Wow. And I love the, I love the, um, the concept of what you're doing in finding employees that are coachable and working through the, you know, the leadership. And I can see such value in that third person input. You know, you are not directly in the company. And -hmm. sometimes with a difficult situation, like, like, dealing with a bully and helping retrain them because a lot of times people have been hired for their skills and yet their EQ, their, their ability to get along with the team really needs work. And I just see so much value in what you're doing and helping um, maintain the investment of, of that the company is, the group has already made in that person because of their skill level. And just instead of, you know, firing them if they're coachable, bringing them to a point of resolution. You know, I love too, when we were talking about the attitude and the expectation that things can be resolved. Um, Do you find that that is a new concept for some people? Are they, are people just used to walking away? Well, it's not new for me because (laughs) my family knows there's a conflict you brought you you talked about the elephant of the room. We don't bring the elephant out of the room. It's not going to get resolved. Uh, so for me, it's not it's not a new concept at all because the goal for me in life is to how to turn things around. And I don't mean to be a Pollyanna sweetie pie. I'm talking about no matter what the conflict is. I mean, I took a death and dying class, and when I got my master's and I was so mad at the instructor because he was, he had told us next week, we're going to have a panel of parents whose children died and how important humor is in the process. And I thought at that time, it was so long ago that I, that I got this degree and I didn't have life experience. And I said, that's just so shallow, blah, blah, blah. It was a turning point for me. Every single person, mom, mother or father said, I want to remember little Joey, you know, when we did this at the carnival, not when he was sick in bed. And that was my turnaround. If these parents could take humor and turn around their attitude of, after they've had time to grieve, of course, these, these, these insignificant I mean, this, these, these conflicts that we go through, they, they drive us crazy. 
We allow them to create stress for us, Beverly. But in the scheme of things, when you get to be a certain point in your career, and it doesn't have to do with age, it's life experience, you say, okay, how can I figure it out? I love that. But there's so many people that don't know that. And that was your original question. I want to you. That's okay. You know, and that brings me, I have one more question, and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. Because I was thinking about venting. You know, I was thinking about how so many people go home, carry the conflicts from the day into their home, into their relationships with their spouse or their children or whoever is at home. Um, what do you? What is your take on venting, and how can that be healthy? So you 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 put your hand on a hot stove, and we're programmed to take it off and say, ouch, it hurt. So it wasn't boom like that. Same thing as venting. If you're going to spend a whole day venting, that's not healthy. That's keeping your hand on the hot stove and really getting injured. Number one, I'm going to, I'm just going to say it. It's boring for people who are, who's listening to you. We'll listen to people who vent for a little while. Yeah, you have to. That's a human condition. I think you know, unless you're a sociopath, um, it's very important to listen. But we all have to know, and man, did I learn that. I dropped out of so many social gatherings because people were talking about their sick parents for the whole meeting. And I was going through the same thing with my parents, both of them at the same time. I choose to talk about and to vent with my family, not my friends. That's my choice. And I realize other people don't have the same kind of mindset. But that doesn't mean I have to be with people that I'm looking at my watch and saying, my God, I could be home with my parents right now. And I have to listen. I hope you understand, Beverly. I'm not being nasty. I'm not being mean. I care. I cared about those people. But there's they, they don't they have a blind spot. They do. They do. And I, I, um, I, I was just curious what you were going to say, because I feel like that some people say, you know, they're, they are rehashing and rehearsing the pain. And, you know, at some point, like after about seven minutes, maybe 10 at the max, that's, that's, it's too much. You know, you're, you've got to, you've got to go forward. So I just thank you so much for addressing that. I want to hear how people can hear more. I know you mentioned your show. You do it on LinkedIn and on Facebook, and it's called Kick Conflict to the Curb. And they can find that through linking up with you, Joyce Weiss, and it's spelled W-E-I-S-S. Am I pronouncing that the way you do? You are. And we never even practiced that. Woo-hoo. I have a good friend that was uh, with the last name Weiss. We were very good friends when we were younger. Um, Very, very good. A beautiful woman. So where, where would you like people to find you? And what would you, what would you like to tell us about yourself so people can learn more? Well, LinkedIn, like you said, would be the best place. Um, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Joyce Weiss, just like you said, it would be a good place. And then 
Uh, if you want more information about how to even be a guest on the show, if uh, it has to be with either dealing with conflict, so the, the dark side of life, to how you overcame it, uh, what you're doing at your company to make people stay, um, that would be awesome. Or if they've got questions, my YouTube channel is on fire. It's uh, youtube.com slash Joyce Weiss. I have over 220 uh, videos, short, long. Some of them are the interviews. All that have to do with some of my Weiss communication success plan strategies. Um, interviews with thought-provoking leaders. And if they want to sign up for my blog, and this they get every two weeks, if they're very short, uh, dealing with conflict. Or sometimes I share something that I learned about myself. And that's at JoyceWeiss.com. And all of those links will be in our show notes. So people can scroll down from the podcast uh, link on their favorite audio platform and look at the show notes and connect with you there. I want to thank you so very much for your time. I think this is a vitally important uh, topic and I just applaud your uh, your efforts and what you're doing to make it better and to create cultures where conflict leads to resolution and healthy relationships and not division and disunity. So thank you, Joyce, for your time today. For those listeners that come uh, week after week or month after month, thank you very much for being part of the high road to leadership, choosing to take the high road where the air is a little purer and the traffic is a lot less congested, making good choices to create a better future because good leaders are so needed. And you know, I'm going to end with what I always say, the best is yet to come.